verse number seven. Praise God. Amen. Unless I'm blind tonight, we're all family here tonight. Amen. We got Gardner family and Olathe family, but we're family tonight. Praise God. So I'm going to preach to family. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There's Bedellium and the onyx stone. The name of the second river is Gihon, the same as that comp- compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hedekel, which that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Well, praise the Lord. For a little bit tonight, simply want to preach no place like this place. No place like this place. Praise God. Can you lift your hands? Ask the Lord to have his way in this place. God, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your touch. We thank you for your presence in this house, God. We're just asking, Lord, that your perfect will would be done in the remainder of this service, God. Lord, I need your touch, need your help tonight, Jesus. God, we're depending upon you, Lord, knowing, God, that you have a plan for this service, God. We want to submit ourselves to that plan, God. Lord, I need your touch, need your help tonight, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, you are wonderful, Jesus. You are wonderful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, and you may be seated. We have read here this evening about this place that we call the Garden of Eden. Amen. What a beautiful place it must have been. Amen. The Bible said, we read it today, that there was trees planted everywhere that were pleasant to the eyes and that there were placed trees planted that were for fruit that was good to eat. Amen. Everywhere you looked, no doubt, it was a beautiful place, lush and green. Amen. With a perfect climate. It was a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Amen. But the most beautiful thing about that place was not the wonderful things that God created and put into the garden. Not that he separated light from darkness. Not that he put bodies into the sky to cause that light. Not that he created those trees and plants and, and created all the animals that were in that garden and, uh, and created all that was there. It wasn't so much that it was just there. That made it, there was that like no other place. Uh, but I'm telling you what made it like no other place was that after he created man and he formed him in the dust 
of the earth and breathe into him the breath of life. We read that in that garden that God would come down in the cool of the evening and there he would commune with God with man and they would walk together in the cool of the evening and there they had that close place of communication. Hallelujah. What made the garden a beautiful place was that God dwelt there. Hallelujah. I know that there's a lot of places that are beautiful to our eyes and we go look and, uh, and they're gorgeous places. But I'm telling you, without God being there, it's just cheap beauty. But when God comes down, I'm telling you, it makes an ugly place beautiful when the presence of God comes down because that's where I want to be. I want to be in that place where God dwells. I want to be in that place where God will commune with me and I can commune with him. I want to be in that place where God is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was a place that was designed for man, but it was also a place that was designed for man to worship God. Hallelujah. It was a pure place. It was a clean place. Hallelujah. I tell you what, when he created it, there was no sin. There was no filth. There was no dirt. I tell you, it was a clean place. Amen. There was no place quite like it. And at that point in time, the best place to live was the Garden of Eden. Amen. But we know the story how the serpent came and beguiled Eve, tempted her to eat of that tree that they were forbidden by God to eat of. She took, she ate, she gave to Adam and he took, he ate. Sin entered into the world. Amen. The judgment that came upon them is that they had to leave that place. No longer to feel that communication or have that communication. No longer were they walking in the cool of the evening in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Because of the sin of man. And we know that through the next five, four chapters, I guess it is, of Genesis, that wickedness reigned greater and greater and greater. And in Genesis 6 and 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Let me tell you something, what man does to God. When man is going around in that wicked state, it grieves the heart of God. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. God said, I am going to wipe them out. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the middle of that horrible wickedness, there was a man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
There's two men in scripture the Bible says that walked with God. One was Enoch and he was not for God took him. But the other was a man by the name of Noah who walked with God in the middle of all that filth, in the middle of all that ungodliness, in the middle of that wickedness. Yet he still found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let me tell you something, this ain't what I'm preaching, but I feel it right now. Sometimes we want God to take us out of situations, and sometimes he will. But sometimes we just find grace to keep on walking. We find grace to make it through the problem. We find grace that gives us strength, that we can walk right through the wickedness. Hallelujah, you say, but I walk with God. So did Noah, but he still had to walk right through the wickedness. Hallelujah. I tell you what, sometimes God will just take us out of it and we don't have to face it. But other times he'll give us what we need to just keep walking and be that witness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I prayed about some things I wanted God to get rid of for me. God, just get me out of this. He said, no. Paul said, I prayed three times that God would take the thorn from my flesh. He said, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. In your weakness am I made strong. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God came and delivered to him a plan. Amen. A plan to build this great ark. Amen. And and so he immediately goes and sets forth the building of this ark. Obedient to the plan that God gave him. Built the ark to God's specifications, not to his own. But he did it the way God wanted him to do it. Amen. And when he had finished the ark, amen, the animals came seven by seven to clean and two by two the unclean. They entered into the ark and God told Noah and his family to get into the ark. And when they had entered into the ark, God shut the door. Though for over 110, 120 years, whatever it was, Noah had preached to the people the judgment that was to come. Faithfully preached it with zero converts. The only ones that went into the ark was Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. Eight souls entered into the ark. And God shut the door. I would present to you tonight that the best place to be in that day was inside the ark. Though it probably didn't smell real good, and there was a lot of work involved in being inside the ark, I would present to you that there was no other place to be right then than inside the ark. There was no place like it. I I imagine people probably tried to grab things that were floating, tried to survive, but I'm telling you, every person died that was not inside the ark. Inside the ark was where God wanted his people. 
ark was God's plan of salvation for them. Inside the ark was where God wanted them. There was no place like that place. Hallelujah. Bible says that Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain by the space of three years and six months. Praise God. You think one person's prayer can't be effectual? In fact, James, I believe it was, said that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was trying to tell him he wasn't some special person. He was a man just like us. Yet he prayed earnestly it didn't rain for three and a half years. Do you understand the power that you can have in prayer? If you're willing to commit yourself to it and give yourself to prayer. Oh, hallelujah. I believe we've been feeling the result of prayer around here. And I don't, I'm telling you what, I, this is a little side note, but we shouldn't stop doing this just when Brother Riggin gets back. We, we shouldn't drop our intensity when the pastor gets back. But I tell you what, we got to pick it up a notch. We got to keep that accelerator pegged to the floor. We got to keep going and pray harder, pray more, give more than we ever gave before. It's not time to back off. Hallelujah. This one man prayed. It didn't rain by the space of three and a half years. And then he goes and challenges the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Jezebel to a contest. First Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? There's a lot of people in this day and age that are trying to halt between two opinions. They got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Can't make up their mind which way they want to go. Well, praise the Lord. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him not a word. Sorry, I'm boiling. Hallelujah. They answered him not a word. They didn't have one word to say to him when he said that. How long in a halt? Reminds me of the church that I used to go to, and every Bible lesson, instead of having a reader, he just picked men out of the crowd. He'd be like, Who will give me this, this? Boy, everybody was studying their feet, studying the carpet. Wasn't no one going to volunteer for nothing. That's kind of how these folks were. They didn't answer him a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I. Even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces. Lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. They had nothing to say when he said, how long are you going to halt here? But when he proposed his contest, they said, man, that's a good idea. We don't have to make our decision. We'll let the gods make it for us. Hey, man, Elijah. I'll tell you what Elijah was wanting. Elijah wasn't wanting fame. 
He wasn't wanting popularity. He wasn't wanting to be known as the great prophet that called down fire from heaven. Elijah was wanting a people that had turned away from God to turn back to God. What Elijah was wanting was revival. What Elijah was wanting was him to stop serving false gods and going to them false places. He wanted him to turn back to God. Hallelujah. He was ready for revival. He was in a do or die situation. They had already threatened his life. They wanted to kill him, but he stepped out. He said, I'll take on this challenge, not for me, but because I want revival. What price would you pay for revival? What price would you pay? Elijah said, I'll give my life because I want revival. Hallelujah. He let them prophets of Baal go first. They prepared their sacrifice. And folks, let me tell you something. They gave it everything they had trying to get an answer from their God. They poured out their sweat, yea, even their blood, cutting themselves, screaming, shouting, dancing. Amen. They gave out everything they had. Elijah mocked them, made fun of them, told them maybe your God's sleeping or maybe he's on vacation. He's off in a far country somewhere. You know, you, you, you got you to yell this a little bit louder, do a little bit more. He, he sat back there trying to offer him advice. And they, they, I'm telling you, they did everything they could think of. But they were doing it to a God that was not alive. I'm going to step on some toes right now and say that there's some folks around here that believe false doctrine that put more into their false doctrine than we put into the truth. How many of our young people graduate from high school and give two years to the church going around every day knocking doors? Woo! I didn't do it either. I'm stepping on my own toes. But I'm telling you what, they give. They give of themselves to something that's not even alive. Hallelujah, I'm getting sidetracked chasing rabbit trails tonight. But when the time for the evening sacrifice came, Elijah stopped him and said, okay, you've had all day. Now it's my turn. And he took and he prepared. He, number one, he, and I believe the key to the whole reason why the nation of Israel was where they were is the first thing that he had to do was repair the altar. Anytime that you've got a broken down altar in your life, uh, you're not on the way to revival. 
but you're on a way out of the church. You better make sure that you've got an altar in your life. And it's not a neglected altar, but it's an altar that's used every day, every opportunity that you go back to that altar. You go to that place of death where you lay down that old flesh, where you lay down your dreams, your ambitions, because you want revival. You've got a built altar. You've got a well-used altar, but it's an altar of power. Hallelujah. Amen. He rebuilt the altar. Repaired it. That broken down, neglected altar. He laid the wood just so. Prepared the sacrifice just so. And then he said, you know what? This isn't enough. And he dug a trench around it. And then he began to call for them to bring water. And he poured so much water on it that it filled that trench through overflowing. Everything was saturated with water. He, I'll tell you what, he didn't want them thinking that he was pulling some kind of trick. You try letting all, putting a wet sacrifice on fire. He didn't have no magnifying glass in his hand holding it up, directing the sunlight and catching something on fire. He wanted them to realize that he had nothing to do with it, that the real God was going to answer. He prayed that simple prayer. I believe it was 63 words. And as he finished praying, all he basically said is, I want you to show yourself that you are the true God. And fire fell and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and the water. I would say that that day, that fire fell. That was the best place to be. It was the only place to be. To see God answer in such a way. Hey man, you want to know what kind of revival they had that day? When Elijah was done, he took out his sword. And he slew those 450 prophets of Baal. Let me tell you something when the fire falls. We can't just go home and say, Woo! Did we have good church tonight, honey? It's time to get your sword out and go slay some false prophets. It's time to get out there and take on the enemy. When the fire comes down, when God answers, when God speaks, it's time to get your sword out and go fight for revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On the day of Pentecost, what a day that was. Just prior to that, Jesus issued them a commandment found in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He issued to them that great commission. 
He said, I'll tell you what, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But go tarry in Jerusalem. Don't go nowhere, don't do nothing but tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. And so they went. But if I understand the story correctly, there was, I believe, somewhere around 400 people there the day that he told them that. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there was about 120. Hallelujah. But there were 120 that were of one mind. Hallelujah. They were in one accord. They were in one place, desiring the same thing. Not caring about fishing. There were some fishermen there. Not caring about collecting taxes. Not worrying about anything, but being obedient to the commandment of Jesus. When he said, tarry until, tarry until. Now, I don't believe when someone's seeking the Holy Ghost that you got to tarry for hours to get the Holy Ghost, okay? But I'm telling you what, there's sometimes in life when we, we feel that God has given us some promises, uh, we got to tarry until. Not until we get tired, not until we get tired of being there, not until we get cramped up from kneeling down praying, uh, but tarry until he answers our prayer. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly they tarried until there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I guess we read that too much to get excited about it anymore. I'm telling you what, that's still the most exciting miracle that has ever happened is when the Holy Ghost comes down, when the Holy Ghost falls, until you tarry, until the Holy Ghost comes down. The greatest miracle are not the miracles of healing, but it's a miracle of salvation. Hallelujah. I would present tonight that there was no place like that place on that day than to be in that upper room. And it didn't end there, of course. They went out into the streets and Peter preached that Holy Ghost anointed message. And those that gladly received his word were baptized and they were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Brother Brandon, how'd you like to teach that discipleship class? 3,000 in one day. Whoo! There was no place like it. I believe with everything in me that that day, history was forever changed. The world was forever changed. It was a landmark event throughout history. The day the Holy Ghost fell. Hallelujah. Amen. In their day, there was no place like the Garden of Eden. No place like the ark. 
No place like Mount Carmel that day that Elijah stood there. No place like that upper room. But I want to tell you in the day that we live in, there's no place like the church. There is no place like the church. I'm not just talking about a building, but I'm talking about the church of the living God. I'm telling you in this day and age, there's nothing like the church. It's a church that has a sure foundation when everything around us can be shaken and will be shaken. I'm telling you, the church is built on a sure foundation. Isaiah 28 and 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. I'm telling you what, the church is built on a sure foundation. I'll tell you what, in this life that we live, in this world, uh, they build buildings that they think uh, have a sure foundation. Uh, they guarantee they can't get knocked down uh, unless uh, a certain thing happens. Uh, I'm telling you, no matter what happens, uh, the church uh, will never be shaken. Uh, the church will never be rocked uh, because it's built uh, on a sure foundation. There's not a storm of life that can shake the church. There's not a trial that can happen that'll shake the church. There's not persecution that can stop the church. The church is on a sure foundation. Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 16, Simon Peter answered. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. I'm telling you what, God is still the revelator. I tell you what, he's still the revelator. He's still bringing revelation. He's still opening eyes. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. So many people have taken that scripture. To us, Peter means rock. But what it means is little rock. It means Petra, a little rock. But he's talking about a rock. It's a big rock. It's a sure rock. It's a rock of Jesus Christ. We are built on him. This church is not built on man's idea. This church is built on the mighty God in Christ Jesus. It's a sure foundation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. He never will change. 
It doesn't matter what the gates of hell do. It doesn't matter what the wisdom of hell brings against it. The church is built on a sure foundation. Hallelujah. The devil can send his minions to try to interrupt a church service. But I'm telling you, the church is not going to be shaken. The church is not going to be moved because we're built on the rock. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a song that says, if Jesus said it, I believe it. Let me tell you something. If he said it in the word of God, I'll believe it till the day that I die. Because his word changes not. His word changes not. If he said, except a man, repent. Except ye, repent. Ye shall likewise die in your sin. That means we still must repent. Oh, I might step on toes right now, but the day that he said that, there were men standing around him questioning, what do you think about these people? And what do you think about these people? And what do you think about these people? He said, except ye repent. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't worry about the things that other ones are doing. What have you done? Have you repented? He said, except ye repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. Hallelujah. You know what we get stuck in sometimes in the apostolic church? We get doing something the Bible says is foolish. We compare ourselves among ourselves. Well, I pray more than this one does. I go to church more than that one does. You know what? You're comparing yourselves among yourselves. And that's not wise, according to the word of God. But what we have to do is compare ourselves to the word of God. I'm not going to make it to heaven based on what you do and if I'm better than you. But I'm going to make it to heaven if I've lined up to that word. That never changes. Except we repent. I've got to repent. But I'm going to tell you right now that if I repent, it's not going to do you any good. Except ye repent. Woo. Hallelujah. I want to read a story to you found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Very familiar story. Amen. But it's one that I believe kind of gives a picture. Amen. Of of the church. Praise God. You understand where I'm going in a minute. 
The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel 37 and 1. And carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Praise God. Now, I'll confess to you tonight that I've preached in some pretty dry places. But never have I been asked to preach in a valley full of dead, dry bones. Well, praise God. But he said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon, up upon them. The skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So what he had laying on this field now was perfectly formed bodies. But there was no life in them. Praise God. I've always kind of likened that to our plan of salvation. We repent. We're baptized in his name. We're buried. And we're at that same place. Just no life. No life. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. You know what? There's bones laying all around us. You know what they are? They're our lost friends and our lost family. Our lost co-workers, our lost neighbors. We're in a valley full of dead, dry bones. But it's time to preach unto those bones. Because he came, the Bible said, to bring life. And life more abundantly. Yes. Hallelujah. You know, I, 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 just, I, I refuse to discount anybody's relationship with God. If somebody has genuinely repented, let me know, tell you something. I thank God for it. Hey, Amen. It doesn't matter where they did it. If they've genuinely repented, hey, tell you what, that's step number one. There's a lot of folks that think that's steps number one, two, and three. Let me tell you something. That's step number one. I'm not going to discount it. But I'll tell you what. There was a man the Bible said was mighty in the scriptures. By the name of Apollos. But somebody took Apollos aside who was mighty in the scriptures and showed unto him the way of Christ more perfectly. And this man who was mighty, who was a great orator, a great preacher, was converted and began to preach the truth. 
They didn't go kick him aside and say, you're nothing because you haven't preached the full truth. Huh? They took him aside and said, hey, let me show you something. Let me show you a little something maybe you haven't heard of before. Let me show you something you've never seen. They showed him more perfectly. And all of a sudden, that man began to impact the world so much that it caused a problem. Because folks began to brag, saying, man, I was baptized by Apollos. And some said, well, I was baptized by Paul. Let me tell you something, for him to even be in that conversation means that God took a vessel that was willing to be used that didn't know everything, but someone showed it more perfectly. And he took that vessel and began to use it to impact the world. What was the difference? Someone brought him into the church. The church. The church. The predestined church. The church that is the bride of Christ. That is predestined to make it to heaven. Man, it gets quiet whenever you talk about predestination. It's a biblical doctrine. The church is predestined. Individuals are not. But if we're in the church and living right, we are going to make it if we're in the church. The church is what God chose to be the soul-saving station. The church is what God chose as the means to reach the lost. It's the church. You want to talk about the Garden of Eden and that place of communication? Let me tell you, it's the church. I'm feeling a little kickback right now. I'm going to tell you something. No one can touch God like a Holy Ghost filled apostolic can touch God. Anybody can pray and talk to God. But I'm telling you something. Some child that I don't know that comes up to me and asks me for help, I'm probably going to try to help them. But when my babies come to me and say, I need help, guess what? Daddy comes to arrive. And when you're in the church, you're part of the bride. You're his child. You think he's not going to hear you. There's no communication like you have when you've got the Holy Ghost inside of you and you're communicating with him. Praying in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says there are some things that we don't even know how to pray about, yet the Spirit maketh intercession for us. How can we have that if we don't have the Spirit? But I'll tell you what, when you're in the church, your spirit filled, that Spirit will begin to make intercession for you. When you're in the church. The church is the ark of safety. I 
don't know about yours, but my Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. We see it all around us. Perversion being pushed on every side. Shoved down your throat. Violations of the word of God mean nothing to anybody. Live life how you want to live it. Marry one today, divorce or marry another one tomorrow. No big deal. You don't like women? You're a man? They don't care if you turn to a man. You got a terminal illness and you don't want to suffer? Move to the state of Oregon. They'll give you a prescription to kill yourself. And it's all done legally and in order. Plan it all out. Plan the day of your death. We live in a sick world. But I'm telling you, the ark is still the place of safety. The church. The church. Do you understand that God wants everybody in the church? The Bible says that it is will that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. God doesn't want to see anybody lost. He wants everybody to come into the ark. But I'm telling you, there's a day coming when God's going to reach down and shut the door. And I'm telling you, you better be in the church. You better be ready. You better have made your calling and election sure. You better love truth and be on board in the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to see fire fall? Get in the church. You want to see the Holy Ghost fall? Get in the church. There is no place like this place. There's no God like our God. The church is his bride. There's nobody in this life closer to me than my bride. There's nobody I care for more than my bride. And there's nobody he cares for more than his bride. Hallelujah. It's time to be in the church. Hallelujah. There's no place like this place. Nothing like the church. A couple parables that are running through my mind right now. The five wise and the five foolish virgins. All invited, all ready to meet the bridegroom. All came together. They all had lamps. 
all had lamps that were burning. They all slumbered and slept. But finally the cry came out and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said, you know what, We're, we don't have enough oil. Those five wives, they had brought some extra just in case. And those foolish ones said, hey, give us of your oil. They said, no, unless we don't have enough. But go to the sellers and buy you some oil. And then five foolish took off running to the sellers of oil. And they bought some oil. And when they came back, the five wise were gone. And the door was shut. At one point, all ten were ready. But there were five that didn't take the time to make sure they had enough oil. And they were departed from there. The bridegroom said he never knew them. There's been many that have been in the church, but somewhere their lamp ran out of oil. And tonight they're not here. But I beg if you don't be that one that doesn't have enough oil. There's that other parable I was thinking tonight. They had a marriage feast. They supplied wedding garments. And one man came without his wedding garment. The guy said, what are you doing? And he had no answer. He didn't have his wedding garment on. And he was taken and thrown out. Better make sure you've got your wedding garment on. That you're part of the church. You'd stand with me tonight. I, I don't want to end this on a negative note. But I'm telling you, it's the time to be as in the church as you've ever been in it before. To make sure that the church is your driving passion. To make sure the church is the most important thing in your life. That no matter what everything else that goes on in life, I've got to be in the church. I've got to be ready. I've got to make sure I've got enough oil. I've got to make sure I've got my wedding garments. Because I don't want to make it all the way that wedding feast and be turned aside because I didn't put on my wedding garment to be turned aside because right at the end I ran out of oil but I want to make sure that I'm in the church I want to make sure that I'm not a hindrance to the church but that I'm an asset to the church. 
I don't want to be a liability, but I, I want to be in the middle of it. I, I want to be doing what I can for the kingdom of God. I'm willing to step out and do my part because I want the church. I want the church more than anything else. I've got to be in that ark. I want to have that communication that I can only have in the church. There's no place like the church. The church is the only place where we can find true hope. It's the only place where we can find true peace. It's the place of salvation. It's our place of healing. We find it in the church. In the church. When we're binding together in unity, binding together to the same cause, we're in the church. We're in the church. It's the safe place. It's a pure place. It's a clean place. The church is that place where we ought not to worry about our children being with other children because we're in a safe place. We don't have to worry about being stabbed in the back because we're in the church. It's a pure place. It's a clean place. There's no place like the church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see revival? Do you really want to see revival? There's two things Elijah did because he wanted revival. He prayed earnestly and he stepped out and put his life on the line for revival. He gave everything he had for revival. Hallelujah. If we want this church to go on, I believe there's always been a church, there's always going to be a church. But it's up to me if I'm going to be a part of that church. It's up to me if I'm going to be a part of that church. If I'm going to make sure that in my life I've got that vessel of oil filled up, that I've got my wedding garment on that I'm inside the ark. Inside the ark. I don't want to kill nothing, but I feel this right now. Do you know what the key was to those folks to get inside the ark? All they had to do was listen to the man of God. All they had to do was heed the voice of that servant of God and get in the ark. And I'm telling you, all you have to do to get in the church is heed and listen to the voice of God. God chose by the foolishness of preaching. He put a watchman in this church, a shepherd. You heed that voice, you can get in the church. 
when you let God speak to you, you get in the church. Not only do you get in it, you stay in it. You know, the last place that I want to be in a boat is standing on the side of it with my feet hanging over the edge. I can't swim. That's the last place that I want to be. When I'm on a boat, I like to be right dead in the middle of it. Let me tell you something. I don't want to be on the edge of the church. I want to be right in the middle of it. Praise God. There's no place like this place. It's the church. It's a church that is triumphant. It's a church that's victorious. It's a church that is victorious. The battle has already been fought and victory has already been won. If you're in the church, you're guaranteed victory. You're guaranteed to see him if you're in the church. It's up to us if we're going to be in it or not. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Can we just step out to the front for a few minutes tonight? Amen. Can we just talk to the Lord and make sure we're in the church? Tell him you're thankful for the church. Tell him you're thankful to be a part of his church. Amen. That he chose you, that he called you to be in his bride. Hallelujah. To be part of his church. Hallelujah. Can we just talk to the Lord for a few minutes tonight? Hallelujah. The church. The church is victorious. The church is having revival. Let's be a part of that church. Let's get on board that old ark of safety and get in the middle of the church. I've got to be in the church. I've got to be in the church. Hallelujah. I want to be in it more today than I did yesterday. I need him more than I did yesterday. I want to be a part of it. I want to make sure that my vessel's full of oil. I want to make sure that I'm ready. I want to make sure that I've got my wedding garment on, that I'm ready, that I'm not just some dead, dry bone laying out in the field, but that breath of life is still blowing. That breath of life is still breathing in and out. I'm part of the church. Part of the church.